going for growth and the importance of growth. That is actually an agenda that's widely shared because, of course, economic growth, the success of British businesses, including REC members, is the only way to increase wages sustainably, to increase the tax take and therefore to sustainably fund public services. The challenge really as we go into the budget is not should we be going for growth, but how do you get there? Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Talking Recruitment Podcast. It's your host Neil Carberry here and I'm about to serve up some thought-provoking discussion with the leading voices in the sector. Keep listening as we delve into the hottest issues in recruitment and staffing right now. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you along as we look towards big fiscal event in the middle of March. It's uh, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt's budget and we'll be picking apart the politics and the economics of all of that with our guest in just a moment. Obviously, middle of February, we're beginning to see the shape of the the economic year of 2023, six weeks in uh, now. And if you want to see the latest on how the market started the year, the REC's report on jobs came out on the 8th of February. That's available on the website. And it really does back up a story that says while the economy is slowing, the labour market remains relatively robust. While permanent uh, placements fallen back steadily over the last four uh, months, the rate of fall has slowed quite significantly in January. And of course, that's falling back from a historically hugely high level in the spring, summer and early autumn of last year. So I think activity levels in Perm still high, if a little softer. Activity levels in Temp still growing two and a half years of steady market growth now. Of course, that's driven in part by labour shortages. But it does suggest also that maybe some of that narrative that we started to see about a slower uh, uh, recession, a, a less deep slowdown, is being borne out in what we're seeing from uh, clients in demand. Certainly vacancies picked up quite well in January in the latest data. So we're probably a bit glass half full about the way the market is here at REC Towers at the moment. And that's, uh, that's allowing businesses to perhaps, while not gloomy, uh, look forward to navigating what is an unpredictable year on the basis of the front foot forward at the start of the year. Speaking of how you plan your way forward, I've got to save the date for you. That's the 6th of July. That's the date of this year's REC Live online conference. That is a hugely uh, full day of inspiration, advice and guidance from business leaders, from leaders in the industry, from policymakers, and from business advisors. Do book book the day out to join us online from wherever you are on the 6th of July. And of course, every REC member uh, who hasn't taken our compliance assessment in the last couple of years has to take the compliance assessment by the 30th of June this year. In in doing that, if you'd like a little support, a little walkthrough of what's expected, do note that we're running a series of compliance workshops um, 
uh, throughout the period up to June the 30th and there's one running just on February the 16th so if you'd like to lean in on that and just work your way through uh, what's required and get some support from the team that's a great place to start. Now let's uh, turn to the question of the day which is we are in tumultuous political times we are uh, uh, in economically deeply uncertain times and we're in the run-up to the biggest fiscal event of the year the spring budget um a lot on the chancellor jeremy hunt's pl uh, plate and i'm delighted that we've been joined for today's podcast by sam beggs uh from the uh, rec's campaigns team sam welcome to the podcast thanks neil so let's start by kind of rolling the pitch a bit on what jeremy hunt faces what for you are the key challenges for him going into the budget? If we look at the kind of economy and politics, they're the sort of two areas where he's got sort of specific challenges. I think it's worth just noting that spring statements, as they're normally known, tend to sort of be economic health checks. They're generally an opportunity for the Chancellor to provide a bit of an update on progress that's been made from the previous budget, so the autumn budget. Um, and we don't tend to see very much policy in them. Now, we've had lots of fiscal events happen more than normal in the last six six months. And I think it's really telling that this is actually being referred to by government as a budget. I think that sort of reflects the economic reality, but also it probably tells us that we're going to get a bit more on the policy side than we would normally expect. And um, so just to sort of dive into the kind of economy side of it. And um, so just this morning, we had the ONS tell us that in 2022, we didn't enter uh, a recession. And that is, well, we didn't have sort of decline in the last three months of 2022. We also didn't have any growth. And I think the sort of, we're still sitting, you know, on 10% inflation. I think the kind of technicalities around avoiding recession aren't necessarily going to be reflected in how households and businesses are feeling right now. And that's a huge challenge for the Chancellor. He's got to keep spending down, but he also needs to focus on on boosting growth. That's that's something that's been set out by the Prime Minister and also really providing support. So that's a real ch challenge for him. And then you kind of move into the politics of it. And not only is he under pressure from the opposition, as we'd sort of expect, but he's also under pressure from his own backbenchers. So Within the Conservative Party, there is a sort of a new group that's that's been formed. It's called the Conservative Growth Group, and that is led by Liz Truss' allies. So you've probably started to hear they're quite pro-tax cut, um, but they're also interested in childcare support and in house building reform. And um, I think that group, at the moment, the membership is intentionally secret. There are supposedly rumours that there might be around 50 MPs on that group, some of whom might be government ministers. So that will definitely be a worry for the for the PM and the Chancellor. But I think if they don't see concessions on those sort of key areas, then that group will really ramp up post-budget and it could cause a real headache for the Prime Minister going forward. Yeah, seasoned Westminster watchers will hear you talk of uh, uh, WhatsApp-based Conservative backbenchers groups and roll their eyes a little bit because we've had quite a lot of that over the last uh, few years, haven't we? I think there's... Um, there's a real challenge here as well, because while, you know, Liz Truss it, during her time as prime minister and during the the election campaign in the Conservative Party that was run last uh, summer, 
talked a lot about going for growth and the importance of growth. That is actually an agenda that's widely shared because, of course, economic growth, the success of British businesses, including REC members, is the only way to increase uh, wages sustainably, to increase the tax take and therefore to sustainably fund public services. The challenge really as we go into the budget is not should we be going for growth, but what, how do you get there? And if you look at the the conservative backbenches and this kind of trussite wing, there's definitely something there about, well, what you do is you cut taxes and you let the economy fly. And then they would present that as a Thatcherite approach. And in some economic circumstances, it would be. I'm not sure, actually, Margaret Thatcher would be cutting taxes in heavily in this particular situation. On the flip side, you've got uh, both, to a certain extent, both the Johnsonite wing of the Conservative Party and the Labour Party are in different variations of the sort of levelling up industrial strategy space of what you actually need is to stay the course on the public finances and start making investments that might drive growth over the long term, especially in areas of the country which have been uh, lagging behind. I know I think all of this speaks to the fact that it's going to be very difficult for the Chancellor to keep everybody happy, Sam, I, I suspect. Yeah, I think that that is very true. I think it's hard when you're Chancellor to keep everyone happy at the best of times, but particularly in this situation, I think his budget, we're likely to sort of see him building and framing it around the, the sort of four E's which he set out last uh, last month. So sort of enterprise, education, employment and everywhere. Um, I think he is under pressure on the tax cut side, as we've already sort of discussed. And it's certainly something one area to kind of focus on is a windfall tax. It's something that the opposition party has said that they would extend. And I think in its current form, it hasn't generated the revenue for government that they perhaps expected it to. So I think that's one to watch just to see if we do see any sort of extension um, from the Chancellor on on that front. Um, and to your point about levelling up, I think, again, we're probably going to see some things around free ports. I'd expect to see that in the in the budget and also investment zones, um, which were talked about in a previous fiscal statement, uh, are back. So we might get some detail um, on those and sort of a bit more on on what bidding and, and sort of local government and local sectors can, can get involved in those as well. So... Were I cynic, which, as you know, I never am, um, I might be inclined to say, you know, an investment zone here, a free port there, um, maybe a little bit of uh, capital allowances somewhere else, might be a bit of a fig leaf of cutting taxes from a chancellor who feels they don't have the headroom to, especially in the context of the kind of public sector strikes and likely call on, uh, on the Treasury to fund in time pay increases that come out of settlements of those those strikes. Um, but the other thing that's at work here, and I think this is why the tax the whole tax cut versus spending preservation debate feels so instrumental, is of course we are certainly no more than uh, one year and eleven months from a general election. So to what extent Will what we hear on the 15th of March be about stuff that sounds good now rather than stuff that maybe is more uh, instrumental in driving growth in the medium to long term? I think there'll be a mix of 
both. So certainly when you've got an election coming up, um, your focus is on appealing to the voters. It's sort of the last chance for the Conservatives to to show that they are still the party who should should remain in power. Um, and it was also an opportunity for the Chancellor and the Prime Minister to talk, uh, you know, kind of deliver the five pledges that have been set out. So having inflation and boosting growth and also using it as an opportunity uh, posturing a little bit for your voters so thinking about things that land well with traditional Tory voters so we might see some things on that in, in this budget. It's not the last financial intervention um, but it's probably the last opportunity that the Conservatives are going to have to actually make any difference. Um, it was interesting actually earlier this week the new Conservative Party chair Greg Hans talked about a general election in 18 months and I think that's probably in line with what we'd expect, because obviously the party is going to want to give themselves as much time as possible so that they can demonstrate that they've delivered on the, the five pledges that the prime minister set out at the start of the year. Um, but also, again, try and show that they are the party to put your put your kind of trust in and vote for. It's also been interesting on the other side of that, that you've had, particularly in the last 12 to 18 months, the opposition, so the Labour Party in particular, really starting to show that it's engaged with business. It wants to work with business. It's on very much on that growth agenda. And it's really trying to position itself, actually, as the party that can be trusted with the purse strings. I think for the Conservatives, after 12 years in power against a backdrop of economic challenge, lagging productivity, e uh, economic inactivity, labour and skill shortages, it's, it's going to be incredibly difficult. So it might be that we see some very sort of short term, pragmatic policies that are made to sort of try to appease as far as possible, um, particularly those traditional Conservative voters and especially those kind of wavering Conservative voters as well. Yeah, it's interesting the way um, the reshuffle recently was presented, that you essentially have recreated the old business department, Department of Trade and Industry, um, with Kemi Badnock as um, uh, the uh, the Secretary of State, and she has already said, I'm basically the Minister for Economic Growth. So there, there's definitely a attacking back towards this stuff really matters and we know we need some solutions, but with that very, that very short-term outlook. Um, for an organisation like the REC, of course, and you and I have discussed this, that there's a challenge here, which is what can we achieve tactically in the short term with the current government in the knowledge that whoever wins the next general election is actually the one who will have the real kind of chunky levers of power for the next five years. So there's a sort of a long game and a short game at work. And I've been really pleased with the team the team's work in terms of getting the REC the relationship we need on with the front bench on both sides of the House of Commons and indeed had a great uh, uh, engagement uh, for REC Scotland recently, Richard Lockhead of the SNP. So making sure that we're covering all of the bases in, he in the industry being heard. Now we've made a, a submission ahead of the uh, the budget and a lot of our activity, yours, mine, other members of the team over the last month or so has been focused on getting that voice heard across government. And just want to pick out two or three of the, the headlines of that for us, you know, in terms of where we think there are asks that we're making that are starting to uh, that, that are starting to change the flow of the river a little bit. 
Yes, certainly. So our budget submission was sort of split into five key areas. So um, skills reform, economic inactivity, procurement frameworks, uh, regulation and enforcement. And there were obviously some things in there that all of our members would expect to see. So things around apprenticeship levy reform, umbrella company regulation, employment bill, that kind of thing we've picked up on um, kind of of course. But we've also looked at where we think there are opportunities for government particularly where things actually don't cost very much or where there is a little bit of spend, but the return on investment is so much more that that's really worth that investment. So things like using recruiters in local areas and using their expertise, we know that our members understand their area and the skills needs and the gaps better than anyone else. So things like local skills improvement plans, how are they working with members in our industry and where possible, how can we extend those and make them work better? Um, also in things like on economic activity, a bit like sort of everyone else at the moment, we know that childcare is a huge is a huge area for concern, not just for working parents trying to sort of stay in work, but also for the over 50s. So grandparents who have the kind of dual challenge of looking after quite often elderly parents and then also grandchildren. And we know that that's a sort of age group that government is particularly um, concerned about. But we've also sort of tried to set out some of the areas actually specifically for that age group where, again, our members can play a really important part in this. So government have talked about, um, you know, using work coaches to help with with over 50s. And it's really important. You know, we know that that age group doesn't want to go into a job centre and sort of burdening work coaches who are already overstretched with that. It's just going to lead to duplication. And actually, if you use the expertise of recruiters, they can play a role in helping to get that age group into jobs that are a bit more flexible and help coaching them sort of back through into the labour market. So it's really important that government works with our industry on that so that we can kind of kind of get that right and get people and skills back into back into the labour market. And obviously on things like um, enforcement as well, we've talked about um, on the tax side, IR35, we know that continues to be a big problem for our, our, our members sort of getting rid of it and bringing it back a bit like we've seen in the last few months with different different fiscal statements isn't it doesn't help that doesn't resolve the problems with it so we've we've asked for an overhaul of that legislation so that it it genuinely works for everyone in the market we we want tax to enable growth and at the moment IR35 particularly against a backdrop of labor and skill shortages isn't doing that yeah there's a kind of unifying force here which is i think being charitable uh the the Westminster bubble as a whole doesn't really understand how the labour market works um, and the balance of different ways in which people work, contractors, temps, part-time, full-time, open-ended. Um, and therefore, a lot of policy is, ba- you know, is based on supposition about how the labour market works. You know, classic example would be the many long hours that uh, the REC team spent trying to work out what furlough meant for temps, uh, because government really hadn't thought about it when they published the regulation. And, and there's a kind of broad theme here about encouraging government to do two things. The first thing is to think about how, the wide range of ways people work and how to enable them to work that way to do more, to pay more tax and to be more prosperous uh, so that companies can grow. 
And the other bit is about government linking up what it does. And, you know, I put the IR35 reform right alongside the umbrella company reform, uh, regulation reform, as an area where you have to do both. You, If you get the tax system right and you, pr and you have good compliance in the supply chain, then the best companies in our sector flourish and people will have more confidence to work as contractors. They have more confidence uh, to to do more hours. They're drawn back into the la into the labour force. The same is true in terms of policies like childcare, where if, if you think across government and you don't think childcare is a service that we fund and we deliver, and you start think of, thinking of if we can get more parents not trading down uh, in their uh, in their hours or indeed trading down in their jobs or stepping out of the labour market completely because of the cost of childcare, those parents are going to be in higher paid, higher skilled jobs for more hours for decades to come. And the total tax take to the to the Treasury, as well as the prosperity of the, those parents and their employers is much, much higher. Now, some might call that industrial strategy. Um, the the phrase was taken out of the uh, the the list of government departments earlier in the week, but I think that thing about how are we encouraging our politicians to raise their eyes to the horizon and think about working with businesses, not at businesses, on economic growth. That seems to me to be the thing that links the five uh, strands that that you identified in our budget response, Sam. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And it, it actually also, what you just said, really builds on the sort of main recommendation that came out of our Overcoming Shortages report that we launched last year. And the finding was actually what we heard from businesses was that they they needed to work with government. They needed to feel they had that government support. And we intentionally made recommendations for governments and for businesses in that report because we know this is a joint issue. We do need join up. And actually, I think the key for me, something that I would love to see reflected in the budget, and that kind of comes back to your point about understanding the labour market, is this thinking around workforce planning and the sort of long term future workforce strategy um, that, that genuinely sits across departments and most importantly, has insight from, from business and industry as well. And that's certainly something that I, I'm very much hoping to see in the budget and we will continue to push for that um, across the board and, and to all parties in our engagement this year. Yeah, look, I think it's that that that's not about sitting around in a kind of in a room and, and deciding who does what in the economy. It's about understanding the supply and demand that, that a modern economy is uh, going to have for workers and finding ways to give people sustainable pathways into the jobs that we need and then to keep them in the jobs uh, uh, they need across the whole range of you know, drivers from everything from skills through to how do I get to work through to child care through to you know what happens when I fall ill uh, because I think NHS backlogs are a part of the story of candidate uh, short, uh, candidate tightness in in this market so there's a lot there um, which, you know, maybe the proximity of a general election makes it more difficult to leap ahead on. But I came away from our parliamentary reception uh, last month, Sam, with um, a real sense of the it's starting to twig 
for politicians of all parties. And the art now is really about how we as a business community and we as recruiters offer some solutions to government, both in what we'll do, but also in what we're asking for from them. Is that a, a reasonable place to, to kind of leave this approach to the budget? Yes, I think that's a really good point. And actually, it was really encouraging. You know, we had a government minister, we had a shadow minister, and it was so encouraging to hear that although they come from different places, they were really genuinely sort of saying the same thing. And I think the point you made at the very start of this about growth, that is something that unites everyone. We all want that. That's good for business. It makes sense. And in a way, having that that one policy that we're all working towards really helps with this. And I think because of what's happening in the economy, everyone is very focused on that. And I think that is, that's going to be the key going forward. I think people are beginning to think much more long term. And what I definitely took away from that was that government and opposition actually really want to work with us and with business. They, to your point, they, they want it's, it's not about kind of working at business. They genuinely want to hear the solutions. They want to hear from us and, and work on some of these areas. You know, they, I think there's an understanding that they don't get the labour market in the same way that, you know, our REC members will do because they are the labour market experts. I think there is that understanding and that's why they are looking to us now to, to really feed in and to sort of help their thinking and their policy development. And again, it's part of the reason why when we do, you know, produce reports and things, we we are trying to make that point that REC members are genuinely here to help. We, you know, we want the policies that work for our members and work for the industry as a whole. So we want to work with government, not against government. And I think that's the key. And look, right at the heart of that is, you know, the flexible labour market, uh, different ways of working is a, a real driver of growth and opportunity for companies and workers and 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 keeping that focus that we, we talk about making great work happen but keeping that focus of explaining why that is the case is really important and we see that even with government as a client in the nhs in education increasingly in the last few weeks we've seen it in social work where government's brought forward some pretty um on um unattractive proposals that won't help them on social worker labor supply uh and which i know uh your team's been working hard on uh sam that this piece of um educating politicians to have the effect they want on the labor market working with us uh working with rec members is really important but i think you know there's probably never been a moment where the right sort of set of advice from British businesses will be so welcome. Uh, the critical thing is, can we get a line to deliver it before and after the next general election? And it feels like this year's budget is a is a big moment for that. So do listen in uh, on the day. We will do some uh, REC follow up on it, as we always do with our take from Sam, the team, from myself, from Kate, from uh, Shazia. Um, so there'll be plenty of content coming out of it, but I hope that this discussion's given listeners a sense of what we feel is in play. And it's probably a little more actually over the long term than has been in play in budgets in the last few years. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great discussion. If people want to find out more about the REC's work ahead of the budget, where should they look? Yeah, thanks, Neil. It's been a really great discussion. So if people want to read our budget submission and also read a little bit of a summary, you can find it on 
the REC uh, homepage. It's on the campaigns and government update section, so you can find it all there. Well, it's a pleasure to have had you on today. Thank you for joining us. And thank you to all of you for joining us on this episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. If you've enjoyed this discussion, we've had an eclectic range of topics already this year. Uh, If you're interested in neuroinclusivity in recruitment, episode two for this year is absolutely fantastic with Ed from Optimize looking at the work we've been doing together on helping recruiters to deliver a more neuroinclusive process or if we're thinking about the future of work and flexibility and how we uh, tackle the sales crisis episode one uh, with Sonabe is absolutely fascinating on that so take a dive in there if you're not quite done with your appetite for REC podcast content in this listen thank you again for joining us and I'll hope to uh, speak to you again on another episode of Talking Recruitment the REC podcast Thank you for listening today. I hope you took away some valuable thoughts from this discussion. If you'd like to hear more, head to rec.uk.com forward slash talking recruitment or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Simply search Talking Recruitment to find us.